So we got ourselves another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. The Stanley Cup finals are in the rearview mirror. We have absolutely no idea when we will see professional hockey played in North America once again. But we've got what's going to be one of the craziest weeks coming up ahead. We've got the NHL draft where we know most of the NHL's business now takes place. And then a quick turnaround after that draft and free agency opens. So to break down some of the transactions that have already happened, news is flying fast. It's Saturday at 2.30 Eastern time. And I can already guess that some of the stuff that we talk about is going to be old by the time that we get to it. But I'm pleased to be joined by Alex McLean from Dauber Hockey. He's their capped writer. Once again, coming on the pod. Alex, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Steve. Nice to uh, be able to talk hockey when there's news coming fast and furious. Absolutely. And I've just come off a stretch where I did 19 days of work in a row. So it's nice. I've got a day off. I can finally sink my teeth into this stuff and I'm happy for the work. So I'm not complaining at all. It's just, hey, today I was able to get up early got to the gym. The gym's finally open on the weekend, even if it's only for a four-hour period. So I got a great workout in. I got my coffee. I got my tea. I'm, I don't know, I'm ecstatic. This is, it's, uh, it's, it's Christmas in October. It's a good day. Absolutely. So some of the first news that we've seen is the goalies are getting, uh, they're, they're finding their homes, right? Robin Lehner's contract that was in the drawer for the past three months emerged from the drawer. It has been signed. It's exactly as rumored. Five years, five million AAV. What do you think about that deal, Alex? I think uh, it's a great deal for Lehner and a great deal for Vegas. It comes in a little short of the six million or so that I had him projected at, but uh, him getting the five years of term on it is great. Uh, to see for him he had a nice little thread on twitter going uh through thanking a few people and just kind of being a great guy about uh very humble and he's gone through a large uh battle with mental health and other things like that so it's it's nice to see him get through that and get rewarded and Vegas gets one of the best goaltenders in the NHL at a very reasonable cap hit. So it's a win all around. Yeah, this is a real feel-good story. I was amazed that no one was willing to pay up with term for what I consider the best goalie on the free agent market last summer. And so he signs that one-year deal and goes out and proves it once again uh, for a couple of teams, for both the Blackhawks and then Vegas takes a run at him and greatly improves their situation in goal by adding him. And he, he took over for the large amount of uh, an excellent run to the conference finals. So he lands himself on a team that is constantly pushing buttons and they are not afraid to close the door on a previous option. We've seen them be like, absolutely obscenely aggressive after their first year they make that run to the stanley cup final and then there's a whole bunch of players that they just they let them walk in free agency they wanted to try to keep their options open a little bit more and 
then we see them go big game hunting for guys like Eric Carlson and they ended up landing Mark Stone and they they made that trade very aggressive and maybe regrettable in hindsight trade for Max Pacioretty. Although you can, you know, with Pacioretty, you can ask the question of whether Nick Suzuki in the regular season would have given them as much as Pacioretty did. I think he scored 30 goals for them this season. Are they a team that avoids having to play in a play-in series if Pacioretty isn't giving them 30 goals? I wonder. Yeah, they've definitely done a great job of uh, – they did an excellent job through the expansion process, and they've just hit home run after double, after single, after home run from there. They haven't really swung and missed on much at all. And, yeah, we can look back at the Pacioretty move and wonder whether they would prefer to have Nick Suzuki and a lot more cap space at this point. But uh, – Last regular season, Pacioretty was definitely the better player. And who knows, maybe they end up uh, facing one of those earlier exits than anticipated in the first round, like Edmonton ended up doing. And yeah, I think they're glad to be where they were. And they have a great core, another couple of kicks at the can coming up. So it's tough to really argue with anything they've done. Well, I mean, you could definitely argue with some of the things they've done, right? In that first season, <laughs> they they try to take a run at Eric Carlson and, and can't get the deal done. So then they quickly audibled and overpaid for Thomas Tatar uh, with like a first, a second, and a third round draft pick. And then he's a healthy scratch in the playoffs for them. And they immediately audible and they attach him to Nick Suzuki in that Pacioretty deal. So it's kind of a cascade of errors, but just, they so quickly move on from any time they've made an error, right? They signed Flurry to this long and expensive extension that I think they're going to have a tough time getting off of, but they immediately, nope, oh, we're going after Laner then because we don't trust this guy. He was a major letdown for them this regular season, just one year into that three-year extension. And they move on from Ger- Gerard Gallant as soon as they started losing faith and they saw an opportunity to upgrade it at coach and you can quibble with that, but I don't consider myself smart enough to be able to tell the difference between coaches, except for at the very high end level and at the very low end level. And maybe that just speaks to just how talented most of these coaches are. Once you're in that thick middle of the NHL, you really aren't like all that excellent work that you're doing is just keeping yourself up with what everyone else in the league is doing. And so it's really hard to separate yourself on the coaching level. Although I do think that we saw what a coach at that high end can do. Just think about the New York Islanders and the run they went on this postseason. Barry Trotz, his, uh, his system continues to bear fruit. Yeah, the coaching move in Vegas was definitely one of the question marks. And you hit on the head with the Tatar move being the other one. But uh in general, most of uh, what they've been doing seems to come up uh, smelling like roses as far as I'm concerned for an expansion team at this point. And yeah, you made a good point with the coaches as well that really we make fun of uh, a lot of the decisions that they make, but uh, most of them are there for a reason and they're in that top tier of the best 30 or 40 in the world. And yeah, especially right in the top tier you can see a difference there are always the few superstars that really 
jump to the front of the pack and Barry Trotz has shown year over year whether he was getting more out of a Nashville team than he should have that couldn't score or finally breaking the caps through to the Stanley Cup and yeah what he's doing with the Islanders right now as well is uh, hugely impressive. Well you you just mentioned Nashville Vegas another move that we could maybe quibble with did you see their new jerseys, the uh, the gold jerseys? They're kind of stepping <laughs> on Nashville's corner with having some of the ugliest alternate jerseys in the league. Yeah, I, I really don't know how I feel about those uh, new Vegas jerseys. I think they're fun. They're definitely something new with the sparkle. And you really can't say that Vegas doesn't go big and that they aren't kind of living up to the city's reputation of just being flashy being adding a little sparkle to everything but uh yeah as far as hockey jerseys go it really doesn't fit the mold of uh the really nice classic ones that uh most people go for i i don't think it's one i'm ever going to go out and buy but i think it might be fun to see every once in a while in a hockey arena i think they're absolutely fucking awful and i think it they're so quintessentially vegas that I'm not even mad about it. Like, go ahead, have your absolutely disgusting, ugly jersey. And I cannot wait to be super angry at them every time I see them playing and Robin Lehner's pitching a shutout against the Oilers and I'm super frustrated. And I hate that any team in the league could have gone out and gotten Lehner if they just would have taken the plunge on this guy who went to the deepest, darkest hole and emerged. And he, he's an absolute superstar. He's one of the best goalies in the league. One of the few goalies, I think, that is just context irrelevant, going to be able to carry the day for you. And mm-hmm. now he's going to be attached to a division rival for the next five years, a team that looks like they may be in that window for the next five years. So I, I'm very frustrated by everything that Vegas is doing to continue to make themselves good and they've made themselves ugly and uh, I'm ready to be mad about it. So I have one friend who just absolutely despises Vegas and everything about them just because they were an expansion team and they did so well right out of the bat, right off the bat. And he just can't stand anything they do, can't stand them. Well, doesn't matter who they're playing, we'll cheer against them. And it's just because they didn't sit at the bottom of the standings for a couple of years. They don't deserve to have a good team this quickly and all of that. Are you kind of on a similar wavelength? Because that's what it sounds like. No, because they were really smart about the way that they came in. They said, hey, we're willing to come in and give you an absolute obscene amount of money. And if there is another round of expansion, we're willing to not get some of that money, but we would like to be exempt from that draft. It just seems like they went in with this plan of we're not coming in to be a bottom feeder. So you don't get our money unless it's on our terms. So you can't begrudge what they did. I can see being super salty as a fan of an expansion franchise, say Minnesota, where they started and they were absolutely miserable, but they had this great support system. And so when they made good moves in the draft and had great coaching right off the bat, and suddenly in their third season, they're like, ooh, we might make the playoffs. 
but is this too early? Do we have enough? Should we be going on this run? And as it turns out, they made the conference finals, so a worthwhile run, but they haven't been back since. And they've constantly been stuck in that middle instead of pushing to the top of the league the way that Vegas did right off the bat. So I could see being salty about that because they weren't offered the same opportunities that Vegas was. But it, it's only because of the stupidity of so many other teams that they were able to absolutely maximize this situation. So you can't be mad about it. It's just frustrating that they've got these inherent advantages being a place that people want to go and a, a place with no state tax. Like there's a, there's a lot of strong advantages. And now that they're a competitive team, they can continue to flex that and bring in even better players. Like, I don't know if this team is still riding that high, if they don't go out and add a Mark Stone and a Robin Lehner, I, I think that this team could have fallen pretty quickly, but instead they, they push the right buttons and are a little bit of a model franchise. We'll see how long they can hold on to this high level, but certainly it seems like they're going to be uh, a problem for teams for the foreseeable future. Yeah, especially with the the development on the back end, we're seeing with the Nate Schmidt and Shea Theodore as they kind of continue their coming out party. If they can add another three, four defensemen uh, to solidify their second pairing there, they're going to be close to unstoppable for the next five years at least. Well, yeah, and it's the Ducks didn't have to lose Shea Theodore. I don't know how they went from being this defenseman factory having too many good young defensemen to suddenly they they've got a lottery pick in a draft loaded with forwards and they're thinking well we really need to restock the farm on defense like that that was completely uh self-destructive activity from them trying to keep this window that was dwindling open and then they make some mistakes and it benefits vegas Again, Washington, they ended up beating Vegas in the Stanley Cup final, but did they need to lose Nate Schmidt or could they have found a better way of not losing that kind of talent? I don't know. Maybe they lose another vital piece. Ultimately, they've got no regrets. They've That banner is going to fly forever, but they didn't necessarily have to give up all they did. Columbus, they didn't have to give up multiple good players in uh, in that situation neither did the florida panthers who are forever <laughs> rebuilding but i, I don't know v vegas they're we could talk for days like it just it's this uh this experiment that went so much better than any other expansion situation and it's it's so unique and they've they've done such a good job that i just you got nothing but respect and i'm very intrigued I know once we hit the doldrums in November, December, and we're looking for something to talk about, well, Seattle expansion is looming on the horizon. And so comparing what Vegas did to what Seattle might do certainly will give us some fodder. So kudos to them for, for continuing to push the right buttons. Yeah, it, it is definitely going to be interesting to see how Seattle approaches things and whether they... <clears throat> maybe try and uh, go a little too hard off the bat, trying to keep up with the Vegas model, whether teams learn from their mistakes and don't give up uh, two players like Riley Smith and Jonathan March so instead of just not protecting your fifth defenseman 
it, it's going to be interesting to see with all of that. And Vegas can again flex some uh, muscle with not having to give anybody up in the uh, next expansion draft. So there's another win for them that uh, they can look to take advantage of, look to keep their cycle of uh, continuing to improve and continuing to move on from possibly a bad decision and trying the next thing, trying the next thing. It's yeah. As you say, it's something that we can get into a little bit more once we get through this off season and have a better sense of who might be available. But uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see what kind of approach Seattle might have to the expansion draft. Well, and so the Golden Knights, they signed Laner using almost entirely all of their cap space. I think they've got like 50 grand left in cap space to use. And there's a lot of speculation that they might be moving on from Marc-Andre Fleury. I think it's easy to connect those dots. His agent tweeted out the photo of him getting stabbed through the back with a DeBoer sword. I would very much like to have a DeBoer sword to hang on my wall. I know lots of uh, Game of Thrones fans have like ice up on their wall and, and other famous swords. I think that the DeBoer sword has become the most famous sword in hockey lore. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But it seems like that's the most logical place that they could go to carve out some space they they've got to find a, a way to re-sign some of their rfas and perhaps make uh, make some improvements elsewhere throughout the lineup yeah i wonder if there's an original buffalo saber that's hanging on somebody's wall somewhere that's that's the only uh comparable i think that could challenge your uh, DeBoer sword there for- has to be two like two original sabers, right? Because the the logo is the two that cross. You would think, but I mean, some hockey names come from, I know the Predators one, uh, they found some saber tooth under where they were building the arena and ended up naming it the Predators, but really it's only named after a single Predator. So I, I don't know, you could have one sword, you could have two, but uh I feel like there's probably a story there that I should look into at some point with how that name came to be. Well, yeah, but like, how do you call yourself the Sabres, plural, have multiple swords in your logo and only have one that's sitting on your wall? Fair point. Okay, also, like, changing <laughs> gears, changing gears. Sure. Who has this saber tooth now? I, I would assume it's in a museum somewhere. I don't know the finish of that story. I just know the bare bones of it. Wow. Okay. So this this joins the next piece of hockey lore along with the uh, the the multi sided uh, coin that was flipped to determine the uh, the Wild versus Blue Jackets lottery position and the Wild win it. I I would like to find out where these uh these items are located hopefully in the hockey hall of fame but doubtful in any case um we were talking about the golden knights how do they figure out their cap problems yeah (laughs) a little sidetrack there um i have their cap friendly page up right now and it does not look pretty they're already projected to be fifty thousand over the cap not under it 
and they only have 19 roster players signed for next year. So they have 11 forwards, 62 goalies. And yeah, you could try and run with that and just be shorthanded the whole season. It would be a bold move. But uh, Vegas doesn't seem to be afraid of bold moves. It, you're right, though. It does seem like the writing's on the wall for Marc-Andre Fleury getting moved somewhere and using that cap space to likely bring in another defenseman and re-sign Nick Cousins and Chandler Stevenson. After that, they're probably done for the offseason, and I think that's the easiest way forward. But uh, on the flip side of that, they usually do tend to do something we don't expect. So who knows? Maybe they end up uh, keeping Flurry as well, and it ends up being a different piece like a Alec Martinez and his $4 million cap hit that uh, they look to use to diversify to fill out the rest of their lineup and try something different. So on the flurry front, I think that most of us would say, oh, that's that's really bad money. But we're in an offseason where Devin Dubnik is heavily rumored to be sought after by the San Jose Sharks. And we can make all the jokes that we'd like about how like maybe that's the Spider-Man meme, like Dubnik shows up and suddenly Martin Jones are hit and him are pointing at each other because they're making obscene globs of, uh, of salary cap and not providing the safe percentage results that their teams would like to be getting out of that. Like I, I, I joked as soon as it was speculated about that this was entering the Letton and Niemi uh, tandem zone of just way too much money committed to way too few results and we'll see where that goes but it tells you that nhl teams have this very different idea about goaltending value apparently the montreal canadians were in on dubnik before they settled on jake allen and that's another guy that we could have questions about so i don't know about flurry at seven million especially in the covid cap environment where we don't know when we're going to have fans in the stands again. But I could definitely see some teams being interested. He's got so much playoff success. He's hugely liked in every locker room that he's ever been in. And I think that that's uh, a situation that a lot of teams would be interested in if they could get some kind of a haircut on his salary. Yeah, it... it Really, it only takes one team to be interested to be able to unload a contract that you don't want. And there is a lot to like with Flurry. He can still be a good goalie. He put up decent numbers this season. He put up decent numbers in the playoffs. And he's a great guy. He's someone that every team he goes to, all of the players he's played with, they all have nothing but great things to say about him. So, yeah, Vegas can get creative with how they manage the cap around that it sounds like they don't want to retain any of his salary if they were to move him but uh, as we saw with Vegas acquiring Leonard it's not uh, impossible to send a goalie through a third team and end up having them take on a couple million of the cap maybe even up to half of it and then Flurry gets moved on to the actual team that he's going for and he's being paid 
3.545 million and at that cap hit he's a lot more reasonable for the next two years yeah i like that idea i think it would be very difficult to get a team to commit to multiple years of salary retention on a player who's literally just passing through their doors on paper but i do think that if ever there was going to be a team to exploit this thing it's going to be vegas like somehow they got their nose involved in the Derek Broussard trade to the Pittsburgh Penguins and they retained a little bit of salary on that. Uh, I think they got a draft pick out of that transaction or somehow that was involved with the Ryan Reeves pickup. So there's, there's lots of ways that Vegas could go about uh, offsetting some kind of the salary commitments and whether there's a team out there willing to bite on say a million or two million dollar tax that isn't going to be spending to the cap anyway maybe that's something they could do i i'd love to speculate that the ottawa senators would be the team to do that but i just don't know if there's a stomach for even spending that kind of actual dollars in Ottawa. I, I really see them being a team that goes out and acquires a bunch of veterans that are making only 1 million in salary. Their signing bonus has already been paid, but their cap hits like 6 million. You could think of an example like Derek Stepan. And if he was traded to the Ottawa Senators, I wouldn't be shocked at all just because that gets them to the cap floor without them spending nearly the same kind of salary. Yeah, I think the Derek step on to Ottawa move makes way too much sense. And you're right that it could be a team like Ottawa that has cap space that takes on 1 million or maybe even 2 million from Marc-Andre Fleury's contract to ship him through and send him off to another team. And they get whatever it is, a second, third round pick for taking on the million dollars or so. And really if Vegas wants to get uh, extremely creative they could send Leonard or sorry not Leonard uh, they could send Flurry through two different teams because you can have salary retained from one player onto two different teams so maybe you send them through Detroit and then send them through someone else not close to the cap uh, I don't know New Jersey Buffalo the New York Rangers probably have another year or two before they start getting up to the cap would they want another uh third round pick second round pick at the cost of uh one million dollars it's not something to discount at this point and yeah all that to say that vegas will have a few options if teams are willing to look into oliver ekman larson at his cap hit then there's no reason that uh, Marc-Andre Fleury can't be moved. I'm glad you mentioned Detroit as a potential landing spot because we've already seen they bought a 2021 second round pick from the New York Rangers ostensibly to take on the last year of Mark Stahl's uh, $5.7 million cap hit. And I think he's making less salary than that. So it's not a huge cash outlay, but it's still a lot of cap space to be soaking up. And I don't think that Detroit is necessarily a team that's not willing to spend a few dollars. They're still very much in salary cap jail 
just in terms of some of the long-term commitments that they have on contracts that aren't expiring anytime soon for players that aren't providing value. You can think of a few names, Justin Abdelkader, Franz Nielsen, that sort of player. So I think that tying up a little bit of cap space for the next couple of years and shelling out a couple million dollars over those years to buy a draft pick, I think that would be well worth their while because it's not going to uh, really alter their timeline very interesting with the stall situation because he had a no move clause, but for whatever reason, it didn't apply in this situation. And I was just struck by the moves that both of that happened with both of the stalls being traded this summer, where they basically like they had stall had a 10 team, no trade list and the Buffalo Sabres weren't on it. So he ends up getting traded to Buffalo, but he kind of had a wink, wink handshake agreement with, Paul Fenton, the previous wild GM, like, Hey, I'm going to take a discount and sign here. I want to stay in Minnesota. Like I want this to be where I finish my career type of deal. And the lesson I learned from these things is you've got to make sure your clauses are absolutely ironclad. If you want to stay somewhere there, there can be no wiggle room or you will absolutely get forced out. And you can't necessarily begrudge the teams for fighting to not have it. But at the same time, if you're the player, you absolutely have to fight for it. And I wonder if that's not, you look at what's happening in free agency with Alex Petrangelo and all kinds of things are going wrong with him and the St. Louis Blues. But you just think about how one of the sticking points, I'm sure, is they don't give out no move clauses and he's got to be begging for one. Hey, if I'm signing in St. Louis, I've been here my entire career. I want to stay here my entire career. My wife's from here. You're not, you're never trading. Sorry, this isn't happening. And if you're the team, we have to have that flexibility because if you turn into a Mark stall, if you go poof, then we need to have the flexibility to dump you at the end of your deal. And he's like, no, like I'm staying here for my career. So it's just this interesting battleground and how much money is having that certainty worth. I don't know. That's why one of many, many reasons why I'm not a player, but I can tell you as someone who has had career opportunities to move elsewhere and having turned those down and potentially not, uh, not advancing my career as fast, that those are really something that's relatable for all people is whether you want to move or not. Yeah, there definitely is a human element to that as well. I I'm definitely on board with Alex Petrangelo not wanting to leave St. Louis. And that probably is part of the sticking point though. St. Louis does sound like they were trying to pull a fast one on him with making him sign a contract that he wasn't even allowed to know all of, all of the financial terms of. So that's a little fishy just to start, but yeah, him having, I think it's four kids under the age of two. He has triplets and a newborn or something like that. You, you really don't want to uproot if you don't have to at that point. So I can't blame him or anyone else in any other kind of situation. They get to the NHL. They deserve to have some kind of say in their life, in where they go and where they want to work. Yeah, it's, it's a piece of bargaining that's allowed in the CBA. So players take advantage of it as much as they can. 
it doesn't mean that the teams can't work around it as they legally can. You see uh, Patrick Hornquist just got uh, moved by Pittsburgh and he didn't want to move uh, is what I had heard. But uh, Pittsburgh kind of strong-armed him into forcing him out the door, even though he had, uh, I think it was a no-movement clause. And they said, yeah, we'll just put you on waivers if you don't want to get traded. So either go to this team that wants you or they'll probably take you on waivers anyway. So there's ways around it. There's always going to be some way out of problems, but uh, yeah, some of them just hurt a little bit more than others. And circling back to it, yeah, sometimes it does cost a draft pick to be able to dump a player. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, with the tight cap we have this off season. And the contract negotiations with Petrangelo, they, they got me thinking so I was listening to this Radio Lab podcast and they were talking about the concept of negative externality as it relates to people back in the 90s they when they didn't want to have their car broken into or their car stolen or anything like, like that they would use the club device on their steering wheel and basically the club, it was, it was highly visible. It was clear, okay, this is going to be an absolute chore for me to steal this car. So why am I going to bother? But what ended up happening is if you're a car thief, you're, you're, you're stalking an area or whatever, and you see, okay, there's a club on that car. Okay. I'm not going to even bother with that car. You would actually increase the odds of the cars around cars with the club getting stolen. So by you taking these precautions against getting your car stolen, you're increasing the likelihood of your neighbor getting their car stolen. So they suddenly are bearing this negative cost of you gaining this positive cost. And it just, it struck me as exactly the calculus for these players in a cap environment, right? There's only so much of the pie to go around. So when the St. Louis Blues decide we're going to trade for Justin Falk and give him a long, regrettable contract extension, Petrangelo said, what the hell? That's my money. At least some of that is my money. The, the negative costs are being felt directly by him for Justin Falk getting his money. And is that Justin Falk? I'm sure Alex Petrangelo is happy for Justin Falk. But at the same time, hey, that like there's only so much money to go around. There's only so much roster space to go around, especially on a specific team. I want to be here. What the hell? And so you can totally understand where he would be absolutely confounded and frustrated by everything that's taken place in this situation. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's an interesting concept that you bring up and one that I think we kind of all – inherently understand to a point but not something that we'd really put a name to or kind of explained out loud and yeah i'd like uh i like that you've kind of gone through and given the example with it and it makes sense that yeah it's not justin falk's fault that he signed a really rich extension uh i would probably do the same thing if it was offered to me but it does end up 
hurting his neighbor. And it brought up kind of another situation when you were talking about uh, the car thieving and kind of going through that, I was thinking more so about no trade clauses and how taking one of those kind of negative, negatively affects your neighbor and makes it more likely that he gets traded instead. And looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, we're seeing that as well because you have all of their second line forwards that are completely locked up, can't be traded. Now it's making it more likely that somebody, maybe even Kucherov, maybe Stamkos, one of them ends up uh, having to be the odd man out because they don't have quite the same uh, no trade protection. I wonder if in that situation, we don't also end up in a spot akin to what happened with Hornfist, where the team strong arms one of their players with an ironclad no trade or no move clause because they'll just say, hey, Detroit super interested you, Tyler Johnson. You know Iserman. We're just going to put you on waivers and he's going to claim you. And that's just what you're going to have to deal with. So you can get traded and this will work out better for everyone involved. Yeah. And I think Detroit would have the first waiver claim as well. So it's not like uh, you're sneaking them past at all. No, absolutely not. Just thinking about the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think we all are pretty certain that they're going to wriggle their way out of this cap conundrum that they're in. They've created such this machine where all of their players get bridge contracts coming out of their entry-level deal. I don't even think it's a possibility that any of their players aren't going to get bridge deals. They're competitive. They're clearly in a place that they love to be, as we all saw from their Boys Are Back in Town jet skis video. They went out and celebrated like maniacs in the middle of a pandemic, which questionable or not, whatever. They they clearly were happy to be outside the bubble and what better place to be celebrating than somewhere warm like Florida. So they've got all these advantages that they're going to be able to take advantage of. And one of the things I was struck by throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs was these players who other teams were forced to let go or had to buy out. And then suddenly, well, they're still getting paid by this other team. Lots of money. So Kevin Shattenkirk, oh yeah, I'll I'll sign a one-year prove-it deal with uh, a cup contender down there in Florida. And he rebuilds his market. And now he's probably going to get paid fairly well. And same thing with the Dallas Stars. They got Sakara and he's playing on their third line or third pairing rather. And he's playing on a, a cheaper deal as is Corey Perry. And these guys are getting paid huge globs by the Anaheim Ducks and the Edmonton Oilers who went nowhere near as far. And it just strikes me that there's such an advantage to being rather than the team that goes out and overpays for these guys and ends up making the mistake and then you you have to cut them there the advantage is in being the team that waits for them to be cut and then you go out and you get them for cheaper and you can offer all these incentives so i i wonder are there players out there that 
are going to be able to take advantage of that. Like we've already seen Lundqvist was bought out. Grabner just got bought out today. Uh, I wonder if there are some intriguing options out there that you think could really boost a team beyond uh, just being run-of-the-mill cup contenders. I think uh, you tossed out Grabner and Henrik Lundqvist, but uh, the other buyout, the other recent buyout was Bobby Ryan. And I think he has a little bit more than either of the other two left to give. He had a really tough uh, run in, ended up going to rehab in the middle of last season, came back, had a hat trick in his second game, went pointless in six of his eight games since his return, but the hat trick's the very nice story. Um, and I think uh, once he gets settled back in, he does have more to give. I would have to check if he's hit 30 yet, but uh, he's one of those. He's 33. He's the same age as uh, myself and Crosby. Ah, there you go. Right. He was part of that Crosby draft. That's some easy math. Um, but yeah, he strikes me as someone that could definitely uh, fall in as a second, third line player, second uh, power play line guy, and someone who's getting paid quite a bit by the Ottawa Senators. So he can go out and take a league minimum, maybe a $1 million deal, 1.5, like Corey Perry did, and kind of handpick his team that he can play with and be supported by and try and take a run at a Stanley Cup, which he really hasn't been able to do almost at all throughout his career. He's totally going to sign with Vegas and join his old Ottawa buddy Laner there. You think him and uh, Laner and Mark Stone all get along? I'm just speculating. I'm it's, just thinking it's... of the worst case scenario for myself as an Oilers fan. <laughs> Do you think he would fit in on the Oilers? Oh, God, I would love Bobby Ryan. If they could find a way. So one of the moves with the Oilers that's been speculated about is Anders Bjork getting traded for Alex Jason. And Mm -hmm. with cap dollars being so, so limited, I would love nothing more than for them to save a little bit of money and be able to make that swap. And that could potentially open up a spot on the right side for a right shot like Bobby Ryan. And certainly he could do as much, if not more, than what Chason did. And if he's doing it at a minimum deal, wouldn't that be fantastic? But the Oilers, one of the reasons that they're looking at moving out Chason is that it's starting to look fairly promising on the Puglia-Yarby front. I think that uh, somewhere between 1.2 and 1.5 million is being speculated about on a one-year prove-it type deal. And if he comes over, they got to make sure that they have room for him because the biggest thing for him is he's forever been put in situations where he couldn't succeed other than a couple of weeks where he was on Connor McDavid's line and scored at nearly three points per 60, which is an obscene rate. And of course, you would kind of expect that Connor McDavid has that impact on people. So I I do wonder about uh, the viability of a signing like that, but certainly he fits the mold of the type of bet that Ken Holland made last summer. Everything was very low cost and really low upside 
but uh, I, I do like that consideration very, very much. And a similar type situation as the Zach Cassian one, where another player who found himself on the verge of being out of the league, uh, dealing with addiction and having to go to rehab and then completely rebuilding himself. So um, I, I wonder if there isn't also uh, a, a bit of a linkage there. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. And I definitely agree with your take on Ken Holland uh, making all of those kind of low cost, uh, lower upside moves, Tyler Ennis and uh, that kind of group throughout the season as well, even up to the trade deadline, he was kind of making similar moves. And yeah, it would be nice to see Puyi back. Maybe Bobby Ryan does fit in there. Um, but uh, the other wonder I had with Bobby Ryan is maybe he ends up going back home to New Jersey and New Jersey is a team that could use a few more wingers and maybe it would be nice for Bobby Ryan to be a little closer to home. That could be a match that uh, does end up making sense in both the sense for both sides. Yeah, so Bobby Ryan, definitely someone worth taking a flyer on in this situation. Thinking about buyouts, the one that I'm very infatuated with, and part of it is just because I love these little nuances. So Alexander Venberg has been highly speculated about as a player who could potentially be bought out. And it's weird, he's he's turned 26 now, but during the pandemic altered season timeline that we're living in players are getting paid fairly on time but not all of the situations are lining up so the normal bio period would have found venberg still below the age of 26 and when you're below the age of 26 you can be bought out for only one third of the remaining cost rather than two thirds so there's this huge advantage opportunity for the Blue Jackets to get out of some money that really hasn't paid off for them, right? He ends up being one of the guys that they're really pushing to keep and they they invested in him long-term with this uh, kind of prove it uh, long-term contract that they were hoping would age very gracefully. And instead, it, it turns out maybe they, they paid for an outlier season and suddenly one of the guys they didn't predict uh, Bill Carlson ends up going and becoming a number one center for the Golden Knights. So it, it all seems to to track back to, to that timeline. But ultimately, they can get out of what I think he's got three or four years left on this deal that pays him $4.9 million on the cap. So getting out of that for only one third of the cost this summer is a huge advantage for them. And I wonder if he hits the free market that's a guy I would love to have solving the Oilers' third-line center issue or even potentially being a, a wing option. He's a very dynamic playmaker. You can't pay him apparently $5 million a year to shoot the puck ever, so there's there's that negative, but you're not going to get perfect players on the bio market for cheap, but uh, getting them on a one- or two-year deal uh, prove-it type deal to try to rebuild his market when he should be entering his prime as a player just 
that excites me so much and I love the nuance of this window being open for this this one time only type buyout where it's uh, it's the most ideal time for the Blue Jackets to get out of this deal if they want to do go into this summer with max cap space and, and really be a player. Yeah, he he does fit the mold, especially with that little uh, nuance there of somebody that could make sense for a buyout. And the only issue I see with buying him out is that he does have three years left on his current deal. So that means you're paying him for the next six years. Uh, but the one-third ratio definitely does help there. You're ending up uh, only counting uh, just under 900000 against the cap. For each of the next six years which is definitely manageable so yeah definitely something that uh, could make sense uh, in the eyes of uh, the Columbus side anyway and for Wenberg yeah moving on to Edmonton maybe a short-term uh, deal to kind of prove it build his value back up and maybe get a longer term deal after that he could do worse than slotting in as their third line center and maybe playing up the lineup as a winger every once in a while. Uh, he, he has definitely shown some solid playmaking ability and his one really good year was when he was basically quarterbacking power play. So he has a track record there. Uh, he just, I don't think has gotten that same opportunity the last few years in Columbus. I think they, paid him and then expected him to be able to carry more of a load uh, just all around the ice defensively transition, all that kind of thing. And that's really not the player that he seems to be. Uh, I'm going to spring this on you here, Alex. So mm -hmm. if Venber does hit unrestricted free agency, what uh, would your model indicate for him? He comes up as one second. He comes up as about 1.7. That's totally reasonable. I would love yeah. to see that. If, if I'm a GM, I, I'm trying to find a way to offer that today. Obviously, you can't, but I, I would love <laughs> to. <laughs> offer it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, we, we've mentioned the Patrick Hornfist trade to the Florida Panthers, it seems like they're probably going to excise a few wingers from that team. Do you think he's going to give them a strong impact or is he kind of at the end of the road? I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with uh, Huberto and Barkov on the first line, but if you were to stick him on second or third line with other players that can play a little bit less of a speed game and a little bit more of a cycle game and give him maybe a little bit more of a favorable offensive start uh, percentage, then he could be very effective. You play him that front on your power play. He can do a lot of good for you. There's still something left in the tank there but i think he's also somebody that could easily be miscast and just not fit in well and with him there always seems to be the fear of injuries as well so i i really don't know 
what to expect from Hornquist. I think uh, he's not somebody I want to bet on. I'm not going to be seeking him out in my fantasy leagues to try and own him this coming year. But uh, there's definitely some upside, especially with uh, Dadanov and I'm blanking on the other one, Mike Hoffman, uh, likely looking like at least one of them is leaving in free agency. So, yeah, there's space on the power play there, and he could fit in well. It's a power play that's clicked very well in the past. I, yeah, I really don't know what to expect. I'm curious if you have a strong opinion one way or the other. Well, you mentioned the concern of injury. I would call it more the inevitability of injury. It just seems that's the type of game that he plays. He's not going to be effective at all for you unless he's absolutely putting in 100% effort and getting into knife fighting range and digging around in the corners and just playing this all out game that's going to cause a ton of attrition on his body and already has and will continue to. It's why I panned his contract the second that it was signed because you knew that eventually it was going to reach this point where he's no longer providing value and now you turn around and the Penguins decide to offload him so that they can take on arguably an even worse contract. And I think one of the reasons that they were intrigued by it is Mike Matheson. He's got all these physical tools and Florida's kind of a tire fire. So who knows if they were using him properly. And I think the Penguins have over the years been able to make these bets on players coming into their system and then getting more out of them. But I also think that Hornfist is making, I think his salary exactly matches his actual dollars. Whereas Matheson is his deals backloaded. So you don't have to pay as much upfront cost. And I think they've already talked about not wanting to spend above 75 million in actual salary this year. And so they might spend a little bit more in terms of actual cap dollars, but they're going to keep actual salaries down, which means acquiring players similar to that Ottawa situation that are making less money in actual salary than they are on the cap. And I wonder if they aren't hamstringing their last couple of years of contention by focusing so much on actual dollars. Yeah, the Matheson contract really doesn't look pretty on the back end. In the summer of 2023, when Hornquist's last deal of his, or last year of his deal expires, uh, Matheson is still going to be owed $19.5 million over the next three years. So that's six and a half a year. So really not a pretty contract for Pittsburgh to be taking on. They did get Colton Sevier as a little bit piece as well. But uh, yeah, it's a lot to bet on uh, hoping that you can wring some more uh, production out of Mike Matheson uh, just at the cost of Hornquist, who at least you knew what you were getting from him. And sometimes I'm a fan of the expression, I'd rather the devil I know. And that seems to be kind of the way I would have leaned here as Pittsburgh and likely just preferred to keep Hornquist. I, I can see the 
attraction of paying a few less dollars this year and the next couple of years to save that. But yeah, with a team that's loaded up on top with Crosby, Malkin, uh, Latang, you're you're focused more on trying to make the best of the next few years, make your money there, because once that uh, once that window closes in the next few years, you're going to end up being a team that makes a lot less when your team isn't in the playoffs, when you don't have Crosby at the top of his game selling jerseys and all of that. So it, it may be a real tough few years in Pittsburgh uh, 2023 through 2026 kind of thing if they keep making moves like this and to be fair they probably don't give two shits about what the team looks like then it's all about trying to maximize this window now I just wonder if they didn't bet on the wrong horse here the Penguins they also so the, today they re-upped Tristan Jari so maybe uh, you can speak to how that contract, I think, what is it, three years, three and a half million AAV on the cap? How did that match up to his uh, his projection through your model? And what are you expecting going forward? It actually matched up really well. I had him at, uh, I want to say off the top of my head, it was 3.2 projected. Uh, yeah, 3.18. So I would have probably expected a two-year deal at that cost so three years at 3.5 matches up uh really in line with uh what it seems like he's worth at this point getting kind of a bridge deal out of his uh kind of smaller cap hit years early on and yeah he's earned himself a bit of leash with his uh with his production over the last few years and he should serve pittsburgh well at that cost for the next few years. It's really a shade under what Matt Murray's been earning for the last three years. So they they know how to make it work with a maybe not a top 10 goalie in the league, but definitely a top 20 goalie in the league, earning three and a half million and building their roster around that. So they're familiar with it. It's a good price for Jerry. And I think he's the better regular season goalie than Matt Murray anyway. Uh, Matt Murray's Stanley Cup rings can make their case about his playoff track record, but uh, the regular season numbers do point to Jerry being the better bet there. So I I like it for Pittsburgh, and uh, it's a good bet for Jerry to cash in for a fair price now and then leave himself open to kind of hitting the open market when he's 28 and being able to earn a bigger contract at that point. This deal kind of reminds me of what Ken Holland famously talked about during his time with the contending Red Wings. And it's basically, there's three or four top of the line starters that really stand out above the fray. And if you've got one of those, then you pay for it. And otherwise, you really don't want to pay too much for your your goaltending because the difference between the 10th best goalie and the 20th best goalie isn't that wide it's it's kind of similar to what we talked about with uh, coaches as well right so there's there's this absolute glut of goaltenders that are reasonably effective and we could talk about how jari his track record really is is very limited 
and he had a good strong month and a half two months and then he started to fade and then Murray came back and really who knows how good this guy actually is so it's it's a medium tier bet on a guy who at the very least he can be a tandem goalie for you I think they feel confident enough in his ability at that degree and it just you wonder so Matt Murray he's got Arbright's and he's got a fairly large qualifying offer. The Penguins are adamant that they will be issuing that qualifying offer. So we'll see where this goes with Matt Murray. They're adamant that they're both going to qualify him and try to trade him. I just don't see how with everything that's available out there, they're gonna extract strong value in a trade. If teams are just deciding, hey, we'll look at Devin Dubnik because we can get this guy super cheap. But if you want to get a first round pick for a a guy who's in that morass and might have to get paid for past performance, we're not willing to go there. And Oh, by the way, there's a ton of guys who have strong past performance that are available in free agency. So I'm interested to see where do you think Matt Murray ends up shaking out? Is he a guy without a home? when the musical chairs stops. Yeah, he's a tough guy to peg because you think the ones that would, the teams that would want to trade for him are the teams that don't have that clear cut starter right now. And that's your Detroit's Buffalo's. Yeah. I keep thinking Buffalo for him. Yeah. I, I could see that being a fit, but if you're Buffalo, what do you want to give up to get? And Uh, A middle finger to Jim Rutherford. That's what I would give up. Maybe they sign Connor Sheary in free agency and then trade him back to Pittsburgh again for him. (laughs) I, yeah, I, I don't know. I could see him also being one of those guys that gets kind of farther into the off season and he's still not traded yet. So Pittsburgh drops the asking price on him and he goes to an Edmonton or Calgary or somebody as a platoon goalie to pair with Koskinen or David Riddich. And he can kind of start half your games there, be paid whatever it is, three, four million and kind of not out earn or be earning way less than the other guy. And, kind of force your two goalies to fight for starts. Do you even want Matt Murray at, at that type of money with with very little in, in terms of long-term benefit? Like, I think if he signs that qualifying offer, doesn't that walk him to unrestricted free agency? And if he does have a good year, suddenly you're at risk of having to pay seven, eight million. And I guess that's one of those good problems to have, but it just strikes me as not something I'd be giving up assets to try to get when I could do the same thing with Cam Talbot. Yeah, I think uh, the best bet for any party interested in him would be to try and trade for him right now and sign him to a deal with some term anyway for whatever it is, three or four million, and that might be a better avenue. So if he does kind of fail to perform, you're only paying him whatever, three and a half. But if he does come through, then you still have him on a reasonable deal for a couple of years. If Koskinen and other goalies like that can earn $4 million for a few years, then even in a flat cap era, you should be able to get uh, Matt Murray for something close to that with 
his slightly more improved track record with two Stanley Cups on his resume. No doubt. Uh, I'm also thinking about the other restricted free agent signing that the Penguins made a while back of Jared McCann and reasonable money, reasonable term, kind of a prove it deal. But it just doesn't seem like he is necessarily in their plans. Like he's getting healthy scratched in the playoffs and they went out and got other players to fill the role that he was succeeding in. And I just wonder if they didn't sign him to trade him. And maybe that's something they look to do with Murray as well. Yeah, that could definitely fit. Um, It does seem like McCann just hasn't been able to kind of win himself much favor there and win himself any leash with any kind of role. He did well in little spurts playing on Crosby's wing, but they didn't really put him back there. So it, from his perspective, it must be kind of frustrating to not know exactly what's expected of you and what you're like, where you fit in the lineup and all of that. So I'm sure he was happy to get his two year deal for uh, just under 3 million. And if they trade him, then at least he's going to a team that wants him more. So from his perspective, I'm sure he's happy if that all shakes out as it is. And from Pittsburgh's end, if they're looking to save money, then paying $3 million for a replaceable guy like Jared McCann just doesn't make much sense on the surface. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, that it does seem like a deal that's uh, very tradable. And maybe they end up packaging him with Matt Murray and Jack Johnson to kind of really unload some salary and sort things out. But they're still heavily committed to Jack Johnson, or at least that's all the messaging that has come out of there. And I wonder if that just isn't a little bit of Jim Rutherford is exactly Jim Rutherford is loath. It seems to get nothing for an asset. So that's why he's so adamant. Yes. We're qualifying Murray when it seems like the best thing for everyone involved would be to just walk away from this situation and he signs McCann when it doesn't necessarily seem like he's a fit. Although it's not like Rutherford hasn't tried to force other players down uh, Mike Sullivan's throat before. And we've seen that, that not always work out. And then eventually the coach gets his way and they, they make the trade for the player that fits the system and they win a couple of cups. So there's, there's a balancing act to be had there. Um, yeah, I wonder if they're going to be able to maximize the last couple of years of their Crosby-Malkin window. But um, Ekman Larson is the uh, he's the big name on the trade block right now, and it seems like the only two teams that he has agreed to waive his no move clause for are the Boston Bruins and the Vancouver Canucks, and so that really limits the what the Arizona Coyotes can leverage in such a trade. I think that they're just lucky if they can get out from under that contract and get anything back. But I also think that it's interesting that the two teams he's willing to go to, I I think it's just a coincidence, but it just so happens that those teams don't have first rounders in this draft. And 
the Coyotes, they famously traded their first rounder in this draft for Taylor Hall, and they lost their first rounder next year, as well as their second rounder this year as part of the penalty for their illegal testing of 2020 draft eligible players. And I just, I can't see them coming out of this off season or going into the 2020 draft and not coming out of it with a first round type player, given the penalties that they suffered to get that kind of testing. I just see them being a team that's, we have to get back into the first round. We got to find a way to trade for that. And I don't know how they get that asset out of the Ekman Larson deal. If those are the only two teams he's willing to go to. Yeah. I think you kind of cut your losses and take what you can get for Ekman Larson. You're not likely to end up getting that first round pick from the deal. So you make that uh, deal, you get what you can, and then turn around and uh, look at your options moving on from there to try and get into the first round. And maybe as Vancouver and Boston, you're kind of looking around and saying, hey, we can add Ekman Larson, and we don't have a first that Arizona can kind of be a stickler on that they need as part of the package. So maybe let's talk to them and see where it goes. Maybe that makes him a bit more attractive as a as an option to try and trade for because they don't have that piece that Arizona could try and ask for. Well, yeah. And if you're Boston or Vancouver, you're probably willing to part with your next first rounder. Cause you're thinking, okay, we get this player. This is a piece that's going to contribute to us competing and contending for the Stanley cup. So I wonder if Arizona doesn't get themselves a 2021 first rounder and mm-hmm. then they try to parlay that into a 2020 first rounder to get something into their system immediately. I wonder if there's a team out there that has multiple picks and would be willing to bet on giving up a pick in this draft for if there's a player that Arizona still likes at that spot and they would uh, part ways with a, a future one in that type of three-way sort of exchange because ultimately Arizona you're you just how how can we get out of this money and how can we make this work to get the most assets out of the deal because it's also their captain and franchise player and it's not necessarily that they want to make in an ideal world they wouldn't but it just so happens that this is um, a player that makes a ton of money and they would like to get out from that money and it's also a player that clearly has a tremendous value still in the league, even though I think those of us looking from afar with a, an analytical look at things are saying, Hey, no, this, like this player's his value and what he contributes to a team is rapidly diminishing from the Vancouver perspective. I think the only way that they are interested in this trade is if they can also offload some of their bad cap commitments in the deal to offset the cap because they just don't have the cap space to make a bunch of big additions. And I think the ideal situation for them would be salary retention on the Coyotes part, but there hasn't, Phil Kessel is the closest example to a team retaining large amounts of money on a long-term deal in a trade. So I, I think that, given the Coyotes cap constraints and just straight money concerns, I don't know that they would necessarily be able to get them to retain a bunch of salary. And then if you're Boston, you're looking, well, 
we can give Tori Krug a big extension, but maybe we're looking for someone who gives us, uh, who isn't just like an offensive dynamo, but someone who gives us a little bit more two-way and doesn't need to be insulated quite as much. So they're thinking, oh, we can, we can use that salary space uh, more effectively to upgrade. So I think Boston's probably the favorites at this point, but also they could go out and sign Petrangelo for that same money. So how do you think, what's the right balance for these teams? I think uh, Boston, it makes sense to look into re- either re-signing Tory Krug or going hard after Alex Petrangelo and paying one of them that same money rather than giving up assets to try and acquire Ekman Larson. They don't really have that kind of bigger contract to send back to balance things out with Arizona. If you're looking from the Vancouver side, then maybe you can talk them into taking back Louis Erickson, who is $6 million against the cap, but only costs $4 million in salary for the next two years. And it's and, only $1 million after his bonus was paid for this season. Right, right. I hadn't looked into the bonuses. But uh, yeah, either way, it's less actual money than it is uh, cost against the cap. So maybe... Maybe that's uh, something they could kind of show as an advantage to the Arizona side, use as an asset to try and kind of pry OEL out of there for less of a actual return in terms of sending assets back in terms of in compared to using picks and prospects to send back for him. Maybe you kind of look at the financial aspect and say, Hey, we can, kind of easier financial burden through the pandemic we just need a big uh, return with OEL in there so I, I think that might end up being a better fit if you're Vancouver maybe it's not Louis Erickson maybe it's somebody else Brandon Sutter Alex Edler something else to make the money fit maybe it's Tyler Myers I don't know but uh, there I think there's a little bit more flexibility there in terms of managing cap dollars, real dollars, and different assets around moving Oliver Ekman-Larsen out of Arizona. And then from there, I, I know Vancouver already traded their first round pick for JT Miller. That worked well. Maybe they do the same thing again, trade their 2021 first, try and get Oliver Ekman-Larsen and hope that you can make the playoffs again and make it worthwhile. And then if you're Arizona, maybe you can say to New Jersey, Hey, you guys have two picks at 18 and 20. We'd like to get into the first round and use one of those. We'll offer up Vancouver's first that may or may not come with lottery, some kind of lottery protection, but it likely won't be a cup winner. So it should be, something that you guys have some upside with and go from there. Yeah, for Boston's interest in this, I think that a certain element of them kicking the tires on Ekman Larson, obviously they like the player, but it, rather than waiting until free agency opens and suddenly you're in this bidding war and Petrangelo is asking for 10 million to move, but you don't quite have that money. 
you've got that cost certainty with Ekman Larson. And also if you trade for him, you have the asset locked up, right? So it's similar to the Montreal Canadiens going out and trading for Jake Allen rather than playing the goalie carousel and potentially being left without a quality option. So they pay a little bit more and they give up a draft asset for that certainty of knowing, but we have the player. So it's that bird in the hand element that I wonder about. I also think about just all these money concerns that teams have. It strikes me that the cap muddies this a little bit, but I keep thinking about the example of Kellogg's in the great depression and the serial wars. And suddenly the depression hits and no one wants to spend money. And Kellogg's says, nah, we're doubling down. We're going to buy up small companies that go under and we're going to take, take their products. And we're going to pump all this money into advertising in a market where no one else wants to spend at all because they're terrified of the consequences and it just it strikes me that these teams that are trying to make a leap from being terrible to being really good could find a way to do that if they can just work up the gumption to actually spend some money because you're getting some of that money back from the players we know that they're not getting their full salaries anyway so whatever you do spend there's a huge benefit to finding those players that are actually making more money in terms of their actual cap outlay or in terms of their actual salary versus their cap outlay and being able to take advantage of that and I think about a team like Buffalo who they they went out and they traded for Eric Stahl and that seems like it was a winning deal a player who didn't really fit for them in Marcus Johansson and he's making a little bit more money than Stahl is but it doesn't seem like they're necessarily going to be a team that's willing to spend. I, I don't know that the Pagulas are, are dying to be a cap team in this environment, but now is the time to strike and you could actually make huge gains if you're willing to spend a little bit more than what your competitors are. As long as you're making the right, right investments, because ultimately we know that free agency is, is a fool's errand, but trading for players like I don't know if Ekman Larson's the right guy but there's got to be players out there available on the market there's there's tremendous names on the trade bait boards you think about Patrick Line and, and players like that who you should really be investing in now and yeah it's going to cost you a lot in real dollars but this is the opportunity to actually jump ahead of the line when everyone else is reeling in spending yeah and that kind of makes me think of what we were talking about at the beginning with uh, Vegas not being shy to make moves and move on and try the next thing and be aggressive. And it's hugely paid off for them. So, yeah, if you're any NHL general manager right now, you should be looking at saying, okay, yeah, the cap's staying flat. Teams aren't making as much money. What can we do to take advantage of this? let's go out and do something about it and there should be lots of options as you mentioned line a and maybe ekman larson isn't the right uh, guy to be targeting but yeah there's there's lots of ways to be creative and either acquire solid now assets 
for below what they might be on a normal market price or underpaying guys in free agency because of the cap squeeze. There's lots of different options, but yeah, teams are going to have to be aggressive and the ones that are able to do that are going to come out of this off season as the winners in my mind. And I think it's going to be a huge element. The Rangers, for instance, them buying out Lundqvist and being able to get off of that Mark Stahl cap hit. I think that they're definitely a team that suddenly, like they, they've still got a huge tax from the Shattenkirk buyout, $6 million on their books, and they've got some other buyouts that they're looking at. So they've got a bit of a tax on their books, but at the same time, they're a team that huge market they can spend some money i'd look out for them to be a real player here going into free agency i wonder who are your favorite free agent targets for the coming week that's a fun question just in the meantime while i think of that i'm also going to point out that the rangers have a second first round pick. So they have first overall coming in and then they also have Carolinas that they can do something with if they don't want to wait on another later first rounder, they can move that first rounder for something in the meantime, which could be a fun way to spice things up there and maybe address their need for that second line center. Yeah, no question. Some of the free agent targets that really strike me as Mm -hmm. being the most appetizing, I I really appreciated what Tyler Ennis did for the Oilers in a very short period of time. And certainly he has proven himself an effective middle six type scorer and who can move up and down the lineup fairly effectively throughout uh, the past few seasons since his buyout from Buffalo and I I wonder if he doesn't uh, couldn't offer some value if he's going to sign another short-term prove-it type deal Uh, a couple other ones I loved what Andy Green did to kind of reshape the New York Islanders defense I I do wonder if his partnership with Nick Letty wasn't buoyed by maybe Letty's terrible season wasn't the result of some injuries and then the the pause happened and he was able to get healthy and suddenly those two together with uh with a fully bought in team that upgraded at the deadline with Peugeot and they played with this speed and this this excellent commitment to the system but I I do wonder about a guy like Andy Green if he's willing to sign a a short-term deal and try to get uh, on a cup winner what he could offer and then I also like Pat Maroon, he's gone back to back now, and it sure seems like he's willing to sign with contenders for a very small amount of money. So wouldn't that guy be an excellent one to bring in? And then one that you're, I'm sure, familiar with. It, I don't know if there's going to be a ton of money out there for Craig Smith. I mean, it seems like like these these random defensemen, like Carson Soucy, he's fine. He gets almost $3 million on a medium-term deal, and Joel Edmondson gets over $3 million on a medium-term deal, and it just... I guess the money's still out there for some of these players. And I don't know if teams are making the the bold bets that they should be making with the cap space that they have in this environment. But I wonder if there's not going to be that much money for Craig Smith and wouldn't he be an awesome guy to get on a, on a short 
prove it type deal because it seems like he's been a, a very strong middle six type scorer who could drive play and w- would be an asset. Yeah, him and uh, Michael Granlin, both free agents from Nashville, are going to be interesting to see where they go. I think Granlin might still command some bigger dollars, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to kind of find that form that he showed with Minnesota uh, a few years ago. So I'm not sure if he'd be the one that I would want to bet on. But uh, my projections have Craig Smith at about $3.5 million. And I would take him on my team as a second or third line winger at that cost any day. I think uh, he's going to be one of those kind of few middle line guys that can actually provide some value, uh, even getting signed in free agency. Um, After him, I think you mentioned uh, Andy Green and Pat Maroon. I think those are some good names. There's a bunch of kind of those older guys that, you could see taking very little money just to chase a cup. Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, those kind of guys are going to be uh, fun to watch. And Did any of them actually they... intrigue you, though? Like, I, Sorry? I, I wouldn't be excited if my team went out and signed Thornton or Spezza or Simmons. I, I'd be excited from a personality standpoint. For sure. But I wouldn't necessarily be excited about what they're going to offer me on the ice. Unless yeah, Spezza is committed to fighting in the playoffs every single season. I, I still think I would love to see Joe Thornton in Toronto. But yeah, it's more of a personality and novelty kind of excitement than it is, oh yeah, he's the piece that's going to put us over the top. Um, I, I think kind of going through that vein, two guys that I think could provide some really underrated value are Chandler Stevenson and Eric Halla. Uh, both guys that have kind of stepped up and actually over the last few years, both shown best in Vegas of all places, funnily enough. But uh, they're guys that I have projected in the two to three million range and having them fill in uh, as your second or third line center they can do well with that especially if they're given some skilled line mates so if you have somebody like eric halla takes over for ryan strome as a second line center in new york then he could easily put up a better than 60 point season he's paced for similar to that in the past and giving him some talented line mates he can definitely do that again so he's somebody that I'm definitely keeping my eye on to see where he goes. And Chandler Stevenson just being somebody who had such a late breakout. He's 26, but he really hasn't uh, put in that many full seasons, at least to my knowledge. So I think he's somebody that uh, could kind of fly under the radar, get a much smaller deal than most would expect and come into a lineup and really surprise with where he ends up actually fitting in kind of performing there. I would worry about a Vegas effect with these guys. Like, I, I don't know that the hurricanes were quite as pleased with what Howla provided them. And I don't know if the Panthers are all that pleased either. And it, it certainly seems like 
the Vegas Golden Knights, they do an excellent job. Their ringers are phenomenal and they do this great job with their system of really insulating their centermen so that Stevenson, he, he gets to play on a line with Pacioretty and Mark Stone and it makes him look phenomenal. And certainly you have to have some inherent skill and talent to be able to fit into that environment. But it just, it, it makes me think of the new England Patriots and they take these players with this one specific skill and they find a way to put them in an environment where they use that one specific skill. And then suddenly they go out into the free agency market and they've got these, these nice stats and a team thinks, okay, they put up all these stats. They must have talent beyond this one specific skill. And we're going to pay them to provide more than that one specific skill and suddenly you're not getting banged for your buck and then those guys end up getting cut because they're no longer worth what the team overpaid to get and then they go back to the Patriots and they succeed again because they've created this environment where they use players in such a, a niche and effective way that they look better than what they actually are so if you're going into the free agency market and you're paying for what a centerman did in Vegas, you may not be getting what you hoped you were. That's definitely a good point. It's exactly why teams should be wary of spending in free agency, because a lot of the time it does end up being exactly that, and the player underwhelms and is now overpaid. So it's definitely a fine line to walk. I think in Hall's case, it's tough to say he was afforded the best situations in Carolina and Florida to really produce. It's not like uh, the depth wingers in Florida are kind of big name guys. And it's not like we've seen a second or third line center in Carolina really be productive in years. So yeah, definitely a complete opposite case to what there was in Vegas. And it really end up, will end up being very situational based, uh, in terms of what we can expect from those kind of guys. But uh, if they do sign in the right spot, then I would maybe not get my hopes up, but I, I would be cautiously optimistic that we could see some improved uh, production from them. All right, Alex, um, I'm wondering, do you think there's gonna be a ton of fireworks at this year's draft? I'm hoping so. What do you think? Over, under, how many first-rounders change hands? I'm going to pin the over, under at two and a half. Uh, I was thinking two and a half, and then I, I'm, I would be curious to look back and see what the usual numbers are and how many of those deals are not just, oh, we're going to move back four spots and pick up an extra third or fourth-rounder to do so. Uh, I think if you're taking out just kind of moving draft picks around, then one or two deals where we see just a first round pick getting moved for a player. A la, pick for player. Yeah, in the kind of Bo Horvat for Corey Schneider kind of thing. I think we see one or two of those. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping that we do see some action. And I think with such a deep prospect class like this teams are really going to be falling in love with players and players will be dropping so there will be 
quite a few situations where we do see teams kind of panic and say, okay, we didn't expect this guy to fall this far. How do we trade up to get him now? Is there anything else that uh, any wild predictions or any curiosities that strike you going into free agency in the draft? I think on the draft, I'm very curious to see how the positional uh, flow comes out of it. It seems like there's so many forwards available and teams are often jumping on defensemen higher than we expect. So I'm very curious to see how that kind of plays out in terms of whether teams are finally able to just go for the best player available or if they really start reaching for defensemen that probably shouldn't be going for another 10 or 15 picks. Uh, I'm not really a huge prospect guy. I look into it uh, just to be in the know for my own fantasy prospect drafts, but I don't do a lot of scouting or anything like that outside of it. So I don't have any kind of really crazy takes on prospects or anything like that. I have a couple of my own targets I'm looking into, but uh, being in a couple of leagues with you, I won't uh, share my specific draft list right now. Um, In terms of free agency, I'm warming to the idea that Alex Petrangelo could end up in Toronto. Um, Outside of that, uh, I'm kind of hoping to see an offer sheet or two to the Lightning players. I think uh, both Sorelli and Sergachev could be a guy that you're comfortable paying a little bit more to try and force them out of uh, Tampa's hands. And even Eric Chernak should be worthy of looking into with that. But uh, I don't know if I have any crazy predictions outside of that. Anything on uh, your end that you're itching to get on the table? Well, so I would love to see the Tampa Bay Lightning, they just won the cup essentially without Steven Stamkos. And I know he's got a no move clause and he agreed to take less to come back and he's their captain. And there's all these reasons why it wouldn't happen. But I just think if you're talking about a player who apparently is dispensable, then I, I wonder what they could do to, that would solve all their cap problems if they were able to trade him and they would have no end of teams that would be interested in that. So that's a curiosity for me. I also wonder if teams wouldn't just rather deal with the lightning themselves rather than going through the offer sheet route with one of their players. Cause I think that's going to be fraught. I don't think you're going to have much success with that. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you don't just offer them a ton and then trade for one of the players outright, and maybe that solves their problem instead. Yeah, and that could be uh, kind of what we're seeing with the rumors coming out of Tampa saying, yeah, it might not be the names that you expect to be dealt that uh, could end up being on the move. Maybe it is uh, Sergachev that ends up getting traded, and some team says, yeah, we can offer sheet him, or we can give you... uh, kind of your pick of this prospect or that prospect plus a 
first rounder and uh, we just need to negotiate with him beforehand to be able to know that we can get him to a reasonable deal and go from there. It, yeah, Tampa is going to be a lot of fun to watch and I think the Islanders aren't getting uh, quite the screen time that they should for the cap mess that they have in order to sign Barzell and uh, Pulak and Devin Tays as well. So I think they're going to be one of those teams that might be aggressive in terms of trying to unload a few depth forward contracts. Maybe it's a Cal Clutterbuck. Maybe it's uh, Josh Bailey, Jordan Everly, one of those guys that ends up getting moved. But uh, they have quite a log jam of uh, contracts at this point that aren't all going to fit together either. I am desperately hopeful that we'll get to see some kind of either Lamorello at the draft or after free agency and he's doing a press conference. I want some angry Lou Lamorello. I want to hear some barbs. I want to hear what he's got to say after some team tries to fuck him over because he's got no cap space and he's got some serious uh, salary cap problems in trying to bring back ostensibly his best players. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be very fun to see how some of them set up their uh, draft windows. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be like, but if it was anything like uh, watching kind of the home screens from the NFL draft, then it's going to be uh, very entertaining. Who, which coach or GM are you betting on having their kid be sitting on the toilet uh, up here on the live stream? That would require me to know which ones have kids, and I really don't know. But I think uh, I think Kyle Dubas has a real sense of humor, and we might get something out of that. Otherwise, uh, I'm trying to run through a list of GMs and coaches and whatnot, but uh... I, you know what? I, honestly, I would love to see. Uh a moment as endearing as Belichick hanging out with his dog uh, with mm-hmm. one of those grumpy old GMs that we've got. Like, uh, like again, Lamorello is a, a perfect example. Just, just something to potentially show that he's human. Exactly. Offer up some humanity. But if anything, we're going to go the opposite with Lamorello and, He's gonna he's gonna figure out how to not appear on the Zoom at all because he's worried that someone's gonna hack in and get his trade secrets. I, I can't remember the story now, but there was essentially at some point during his time in New Jersey, they con- he was concerned about the phone lines getting tapped, and they essentially told him that he had like a special line that wasn't actually special that was like tap proof. <laughs> and so he'd be like That's bring amazing. me up on the tap proof line matilda or whatever the name of his uh assistant happened to be or whatever the case and or the story that i heard many moons ago and i'm obviously doing a, a terrible job of retelling it um, it still sounds amazing though exactly and so uh, in in whatever capacity we get Lamorello being disgruntled and afraid of technology and angry at people, that's what I want out of the next week. And, and at some point, I really hope he answers a video call and holds it up to his ear. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I really hope we get something as comical as that. That would uh, definitely make the whole thing a lot better. Well, Alex, uh, this was enlightening, entertaining, and you've been more than gracious with your time. Uh, before we jet, anything you would like to plug? Uh, if anybody wants to continue to check in with the the salary projections that I have up on Dauber Hockey, then they can do so throughout the free agency period, and I'll be citing them with any time uh, anybody of relevant signs on uh, Twitter. You can find my uh, little rantings about those at uh, Alex D. McLean on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's uh, the biggest thing I have going on at the moment. Right on. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast once again. Thanks for having me, Steve. It was a fun time. All right, everyone. That is our episode of the podcast. I believe at one point I was telling a story, the reference to the the use of the club and the impact that it had on car thievery and stuff like that. Uh, the podcast that it was actually on was Freakonomics Radio, and I think I said Radio Lab. Um, both excellent podcasts. Recommend you check them both out. But I just wanted to clarify that error. Otherwise, that is our show. Stick tap to you for tuning in with us all the way to the end of what was a long episode. Stick tap to Alex McLean for coming on and being so generous with his time. It was uh, it was excellent for me to get a bunch of that stuff off my chest, like I said, off the hop. It's been uh, a while since I got to do one of these, and I, I'm very happy that I was able to get something out before we actually have free agency. I think it's going to be wild. It's going to be awesome. Please like, subscribe, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, and hopefully we can continue putting these out as the off-season rolls along. Thank you so much, and bye now.